Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Um, we're going to get into question time. I love this opportunity. Uh, I say it every week. I know if you're an extrovert, you're probably just so excited for conversation time. You just need to get out words today and hit your quota. And if you're an introvert, you're like, man, I am going to go grab some brunch right now and come back in a little bit. Uh, would you take a risk? Would you have an opportunity to get to hear somebody's story or maybe even share your story? You can click on the Connect With Us button on your tabs, or they're pro providing a Zoom link for you. And uh, they're going to send you out into Zoom groups, and we're going to answer this question together. What do you want right now, and what do you need? Light question for you. Enjoy. It was the early 1900s, and it's crazy to think about this reality to how small the world was even 120 years ago, that there was so much of even planet Earth that we hadn't explored yet, that in the early 1900s, there was all these countries who were racing to see who was going to get the first person to the South Pole, that we didn't have GPS and satellites and technology, we didn't have vehicles that could take us across the Antarctic, that it was people racing in these huge expeditions on wooden ships with sails to get people to Antarctica, to get across Antarctica a thousand miles to the South Pole with dogs and like old school jackets. That there was this person named Ernest Shackleton who was this amazing explorer, and I love leadership at every level. I love reading about leadership from CEOs to so social like activists to everybody and anybody that you can think of, of somebody who takes risks in their life. I find it so fascinating to see the diversity of people's journeys and their willingness to do something radical, their willingness to take a risk and how that risk benefits the rest of humanity. And what I love about reading all these leadership books and hearing these different stories is that there's not a common thread between everybody. Anybody at any moment has the capacity, right, like a Rosa Parks sitting on that bus in that moment to say, not today. Today I will not move. Anybody has the capacity, like Nelson Mandela, to go through his life and say, I will risk sitting in prison for 30 years and participate in nonviolence if it gives my people an opportunity for something more. Ernest Shackleton in the early 1900s was this leader who wanted to explore the world, that his entire journey was external, that everything about himself was believing and asking these bigger questions of, man, how does a human being get to the place that no other human being has been before? And early in the 1900s, as he was on his way to the South Pole, he got within 60 miles and somebody else beat him there. So for him, it was, well, what's the next adventure for human beings? And for him, it was no one has ever crossed the entire Antarctic shelf. So him and a team of about 30 people uh, prepared, and they went down on a ship, and they were going to cross all of Antarctica, and they were going to have another ship meet them on the other side. And early into their journey, uh, a storm came early, and it froze all of the area around them, crushed their ship in the ice. And for the next 400 days... These people survived in Antarctica, and they found something within themselves to survive. The capacity of human beings, the resilience that we have within us is unimaginable. 
that every day they wanted to quit, but because of leadership, because of asking bigger questions, because of dependency on one another, there was a few of those people who got on a tiny little boat and navigated a thousand miles of seas in the frozen Antarctica to go get help. And it's one of the wildest stories that I've ever read that every part of this story about Ernest Shackleton is just riveting. You can find it in a book called Endurance, and I love it, and I recommend it to everybody. But what I find so interesting about Ernest Shackleton's life is that at the end of it, after he had completed all of these adventures, after he had explored parts of the world that no other human being had ever been to, that he went back to Elephant Island, just off, or not just off the coast, hundreds of miles off the coast of Antarctica, where he had navigated his little boat to save all of the men who were in his party, that he went back there to go on another adventure, and there he had a heart attack and died. And then as you read the stories about Ernest Shackleton, this incredible leader who had done so much, who had taken people where people had never gone before, there was still this truth that's true of him, that's true of so many of us, that so often we go on these external journeys to find ourselves. So often we risk so much externally, but are we doing the work internally? That at the end of the day, his relationship with his spouse, his relationship with other people was problematic. And these great adventures were always a way of escaping the real troubling waters that were going on with inside of himself. And what I so believe about Jesus is that Jesus is constantly trying to increase the depths and the capacity of who we are internally, that the kingdom of God is not found here and there. They even ask Jesus of God, where is this kingdom you keep speaking of? Well, this kingdom is within you. This kingdom is a reality and a perspective of how you engage into the world. Will you bring heaven to earth by the way that you live within yourself and then allow that to go externally without you? And one of the weaknesses of Christianity, Western Christianity, over the last 200 years, and particularly of evangelicalism, is that we constantly send people on these external um, journeys. We constantly send people to other external authorities. If you would just believe enough in the Bible, if you would just read enough of these stories, if you would just participate enough in this tradition, if you would just listen to this senior pastor or this priest, these people out there on this journey somewhere at that camp with that prayer, that's the thing that's gonna save you. But the truth of Jesus, the reason that we're in the story of how does the Bible work is that from early Judaism all the way from Abraham, when this old man and woman heard this voice of God that says, I have an adventure to send you on, not one that's external, but one where you will learn to trust and grow and love and find kindness and goodness within yourselves. From the stories of Moses and the burning bush to Elijah on a mountaintop hearing thunder and storms and fire, but God was within. To the story of Jesus, these are not grand external stories that we go into. The story of Jesus is, this is your story. Will you learn to do the internal journey to grow yourself? It's here that you'll find healing. It's here that you'll find transformation. It's here that you'll find maturity. This is the place that the kingdom of God grows. But we've been sending people out there to find something that's not there, when where God was hiding the entire time was always within ourselves. That the gift of God has always been within each and every one of us. It's just a matter if we have eyes to see and ears to hear that this good news and good gift has been here the entire time. So to talk more about this, we gotta talk about some things. 
We already talked a little bit about Shackleton. And if we talked about Shackleton, then of course, we gotta talk about some Samaritans on a August morning in 2020. And if we're gonna understand Samaritans, then we're gonna move from this idea that we need to stop taking it literally and take it more seriously. And if we can begin to understand truth seriously and move away from the fundamentalism of literally where we all start, then maybe we can have an experience. And if we can experience something, can we grow up as human beings and move from the wants that we all have to the deeper needs of what it means to be human? And as we understand our needs, then maybe we could experience contentment or satisfaction. And if we could be satisfied, then we can live into the deepest reality of who Jesus is, which is incarnation which is this idea that God and humanity have always been intertwined, not some story that Jesus needed to bleed out on a cross to make God less angry with you, which is unfortunately this external story that we've constantly been telling. And if we can understand the realities of incarnation, then my friends, namaste. All right, let's do some things on a Sunday morning. Follow along with me in John chapter four. Uh, he had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat warily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was not alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and you who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and that his animals enjoyed. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them an eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Thanks, sissy. I was gonna throw it to you, but it's an iPhone and that feels very expensive for us, so we're not going to do that. In Jesus' time, Samaritans were these people that nobody had interactions with, that Jesus is a good Jew, and you know that because you've been following along in this series of how does the Bible work. And good Jews in Jesus' day didn't associate with other Samaritans. That back in the day when Jews were exiled to Babylon, all of the educated, the priests, all the people who were in charge were the people who were taken to another country. And it was kind of the hillbillies who were left behind. So when all of those Jews came back and they were building a new temple, they had found that some of these Samaritans had shifted and kind of evolved and pivoted a little bit in the Jewish faith that they had moved their understanding of God from the city of Jerusalem more up north to a different kind of little bit understanding of who God was in their world. So the Jews who had gone away were the people who thought to themselves at this time, well, we're the ones who endured hardship and we were taken to foreign lands and we were the ones who were faithful and who God used. So you people who were left behind, you were kind of the people who didn't really follow God in those ways. And I know that if you've been in church long enough, you've met some religious people with a superiority complex. And this is what was going on in that time as well. 
that in Jesus' day, these Samaritans were people who were inferior to the Jews. It's the middle of the day, and I love the story, and you got to really set the scene in your mind here, that Jesus is a rabbi. And we don't really have a good concept of rabbis in our world. That rabbis were these people who always had disciples and followers coming behind them. So you knew when a rabbi came into your town because they rolled up with their squad, escalades and all, my friends. And so when they rolled up, you always knew who this rabbi was and what this rabbi was about. But in this narrative, the rest of the team had gone somewhere else in this moment, and it's just Jesus in the middle of the day, and we're in the Middle East, by the way. We don't know the time of the year, but we do know this, that the story says that Jesus was tired, that the son of man, right, that the God-man leans up next to a well, scorching hot on a noon day, and sits next to a well all by himself that he was fatigued and worn out. And this good Jewish rabbi asked the Samaritan who you're not supposed to speak to, would you be able to provide for me some of the needs that I have? How different is this story already? That most of us were given a story of Jesus where it's completely external, and Jesus is the one that does all of the work on the cross, and when we just raise our hands and name it and proclaim it, Jesus will take away all of the bad things from us, we will not endure suffering, and our lives will be okay until you suffered, until the prayer didn't work. And you wouldn't be prepared for this kind of story. In this story, the woman is not running to Jesus asking for water. In this story, Jesus asked the most marginalized person, you, within you, you have something to give me. Isn't that interesting how God works? That God was setting up for this person. You think that you're not worthy because you're a Samaritan. You think that you're not worthy because you're a woman in the Middle East 2,000 years ago in a Roman society where you're not even considered a human being. You think that you're not worthy because you're the kind of woman who's lived such an adulterous life for the last few years that you've had five different husbands, which is in the story later. Feel free to read that in your bathroom time, John chapter four, not five, just to be clear. And Jesus tells the story, you think you're not worthy for all of these reasons. You think you're not worthy because you were gay. You think you're not worthy because of these choices that you made. You think you're not worthy because you're family of origin. You think you're not worthy because of the color of your skin. You think you're not worthy because of what this person said to you in that relationship. You think you're not worthy because of how mom and dad treated you. We all have laundry lists of things within us of why we think we're not worthy why we are not good enough, why we don't have enough to show up for this day. And Jesus in this story comes and says, I'm here to break down all of those boundaries, all of those barriers, all of those walls to remind you that the goodness that you've been looking for has always been within you. Where is God? He's been in there the whole time. She's been within you every step of the way in the brokenness, in the pain, in the hurt, in the figuring it out, in the atrocities and trauma that should have never happened to you, even there, in the most God-forsaken places, God was always showing up. That even Jesus on a cross shouts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is through that crucifixion and through that death and through that pain, through the loneliness, through the betrayal, that we get resurrection, my friends. Never a journey that we would wish upon anybody, but all of us know the deep truth that we found God when we had nothing else. 
And here, 2,000 years ago, next to a well that gives water was a woman who was showing up, and she was showing up by herself in the middle of the day because no one else would be there because it was hot as fuck. And there is this rabbi who is there saying, you actually have something to offer me. Stop telling a narrative about your life that is rooted in your worthiness. Let's start telling a narrative in your life where the goodness of God has always been bubbling up within you. And the story will go on in John chapter four after they talk about all of her husbands and she's amazed and she'll go tell this entire village and they'll come back and they'll all just live in joy of this story of good news and who Jesus is and they're all surprised and they all wanna follow Jesus and it's beautiful and it builds and again, you can read that all later, but the crux of the story, the power of the story is that the journey within is the journey that we're on. Unfortunately, for the last thousand years within the church, particularly within the Western church, particularly as the Western church got in, ingrained in power and in government and we wanted to make sure that the kings and queens who were in power really supported the church, we lost this internal journey. And we begin to talk about an external journey because it, it preserves power when we make sure that you have to go to an external source to find authority. But for the first thousand years of the church, this was one of the stories that was read to early followers of Jesus and they would spend months here meditating on this story for the deeper truths of what it was about. Because if you were gonna go on this journey of Jesus, you needed to trust and to believe and to see within yourself that the goodness and the gift of God was always within you in the first place. And this is the story that God has for us. And so if we're gonna understand the truth that the gift of God has always been within us, then we need to understand this story seriously and not literally. Most of the external sources that we've been given, we're taught to take literally. We're taught to take the Bible literally, even though the Bible has not been read literally except for the last 150 years in modern Western thinking and culture, instead of to take the truth of the scriptures seriously. And then by literally, what we really mean is the particular flavor of Christianity that you were given, and we, were told, and we told you that these are the things that are found in the Bible, and if you do these things, then God will be happy with you. If you were a good Southern Baptist, the things that you would take literally is you would never have sex before marriage, you would never use alcohol, and you certainly wouldn't dance. And if you didn't do these external things, then maybe God would be satisfied with you. If you were charismatic, you were told externally, if you could just speak in tongues, then you'll know that God loves you. If you were Catholic, it was you needed to go through your catechisms and you needed to follow this tradition. And the priest and the pope, these are the truths that you will find. If you were evangelical, of course you had to listen to Amy Grant. These are just the way things work, my friends. And we can joke about all of these things, but there was a truth to all of the places that we came from that we were told that there's an external authority out there somewhere. And if you just follow these things and do these things, then God will somehow be pleased with you. Instead of taking scripture seriously and seeing the deeper truth rooted within it, that what God is always trying to show you is to actually trust yourself. The scriptures, tradition, are not teaching you to be bigger lovers of them. The scriptures and tradition are teaching you to be a bigger lover of yourself. And as you love yourself, as you find healing, as you find transformation here, as you grow up, then you'll begin to see God in new ways. And the miracle of the journey is, if you can believe that there's an eternal well of life always bubbling within you, how might you see other human beings? 
If you can believe that this good news and good gift is within you, could you also believe that this good news and this good gift is also within them? And if we can do that, imagine how the world changes when we stop doing all the things literally and we start taking seriously the truth that we're offered here. And one of the ways that we do this, how do we actually accomplish taking scripture seriously, is that we surround ourselves through a diverse community of people. That it is through experiences with other human beings that we learn to love ourselves and love them better. Why? Because we live in 2020 in a place like Los Angeles or wherever you're tuning in from, and what you'll find is that their story is different than your story, and somehow God's grace and God's love was able to hold the complexity of both of those things together. And when you can hear how God worked differently in them, how will that also teach you to trust and love how God is working within you and vice versa? And so we need a diversity of experiences with each other. I was having a conversation with a couple this week at New Abbey, and uh, they're gay, and they were talking about the world that they grew up in evangelicalism. They were always scared to show PDA as somebody who was gay because they were just so ingrained within them that it will make everybody else uncomfortable if they saw two gay men kissing. And I said, okay, those are the beliefs that you used to have, but what about now? And that those things were still rooted within them. And I'm saying, well, go ahead and make out right now in front of me for all I care. You love one another, and you should do that. And one of the things that begins to bring them freedom is that they get to be in a community with other gay people and they get to experience the love and affection and PDA that they have and they also get to be in a community with other straight people who don't think that it's abnormal, who realize these are just human beings who love one another, that we need each other and our vastly different experiences to affirm and create acceptance for who we are. We don't just need people who are like us. They would talk about walking through Chicago into Boys Town and saying, well, once we crossed that imaginary line, then we could hold hands. But then they talked about the magic of this moment when they were in a city on a subway in the non-gay community, and they held hands for the first time, and the energy and the lightning that happened between them. And isn't that the gift that God has for you? That we need each other's experiences to say, it's okay to love who you want to love. It's okay to be who you want to be. And you need other people to help validate that truth and experience within you. But you must first love and validate that experience for yourself. And we need that reality. And if we can have this reality of finding a deeper truth about who we are and that the gift of God has always been within us, then I think we grow up in understanding what our wants are and what our needs are. At our earliest stages of life, we have a bunch of needs, we gotta eat, we gotta poop, we need our diaper changes, there's just things that happen. And eventually, as we get a little bit older, we start to have wants. I have a three, five, and seven-year-old. I hear a lot of wants every day. Yesterday, I was gone on a little trip, and my five-year-old kept FaceTiming us and asking, Dad, did you find me a toy somewhere? I need a toy wherever you go. It's just a want that we have. And as we grow up, some of those wants change. As we grow up, some of our wants stay material, and we think, if I just get this thing, if I just had that job, if I can finally drive this car, if I made this much money, or actually, we don't even say this much money, we just say more money, as if there's like a magical number there in which you'd be like, now I am satisfied. But you're not. We have all these external needs, but what happens when we can move those wants to saying, actually, all that I have right now is exactly what I need? and I feel content and satisfied in it. 
For those of us who've experienced addiction, it's a world filled with wants. It's a world filled with, if I could just have this drink or this hit or screw this person or do whatever I need to do, then today I'll be satisfied. But what you will learn is it wasn't even about getting the hit that made you satisfied. It was about the act of trying to go get that thing that was giving you a high. And then when you actually got the thing, you were quite dissatisfied with your life. And what we move towards is this want was never going to satisfy me. I lived lots of years of my life as a sex addict thinking that if I just had this kind of sex or did this kind of thing or if I got married young enough, then my life would be satisfied. And it wasn't through a process, it wasn't until a process of healing and transformation and maturity, recognizing that the goodness of God has always been within me, that I don't need to go pursue that one externally, where I realized I'm not longing for sex, I want intimacy. I want to hold and know somebody and be known because I trust and know that I am good and that I am whole and that I am trustworthy inside. We can go on and on and name all of the wants in our culture, but these wants are rooted in some belief that if externally I could just get that, then I'll finally be satisfied. And Jesus comes to the well and sits next to each and every one of us and says, I know that you don't feel worthy. I know that you think you wouldn't have something to offer, but within you and you and you and all of you, the gift and goodness of God is already there and it's like a bubbling stream that keeps coming up and it never runs out. That within this stream, unlike all of the external wants around you, where if you could just get a little bit of that or a taste of this and immediately it disappears and it vanishes, this bubbling fountain that's within you, when you take a million away from infinity, you still have infinity. That when you go towards this grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, it never runs out because the gift of God has always been within you. So we need to take more seriously that reality that we don't need these external sources to give us truth about who we are, that we can begin to trust within ourselves that who God is will actually satisfy and fulfill our needs. And that one of the ways that we do that is that we can begin to practice gratitude every time that our needs are actually met. That for me as a sex addict, when I could actually say, oh, it was intimacy, God, and entrusting myself and recognizing my goodness today, thank you, that I realized that I don't actually need this thing. And when I begin to reorient and retell the narrative of my life, it began to change and transform something within me. That I didn't need to run after all of these things out here, but that that goodness and that wealth and that love was already within me. And that the truth of this is all rooted in this idea of incarnation. That the truth of it is this, that the story of Jesus in this world is not a story where the God-man comes to earth to die so that God will finally be happy with you. The story of the God-man is coming to earth as a human being so that you as a human being can realize that the divine has always been within you. And that it's through your journey of living, it's through your own crucifixions that there you experience resurrection. It's this journey that Jesus brings us all on internally that we would begin to trust who we are and what we have going on within ourselves. That's the journey of incarnation that we're invited into. I've mentioned it multiple times throughout this series of how does the Bible work, but for the first thousand years of the church, a thousand years, that's a long time just so you know. The pursuit of Jesus was the pursuit of theosis. Theosis was this 
fancy word that followers of this Christ and followers of this way were on a journey to realize that they were made in the image of God and the likeness of God. That's what theosis was. We would maybe say it this way now, but we've kind of, you know, messed it up a little bit, that somehow we're trying to be like saved by God and sanctified or be more holy, but then it starts to get rooted in some external morality which none of us can keep. Instead of this beautiful story of you are liberated, you are saved, you are freed by the reminder that Jesus brings that you have always been made in the image of God. It is not a magical prayer. It is not a specific flavor of church. It is not reading enough of the Bible. It's not the things that you do and don't do. But within you, from day one, for every moment of human beings in their existence, you have been made in the image of God. And as you are freed into that, as you are liberated into that narrative, as you follow this way of Jesus, then you move into the likeness of God. Because as you experience this freedom that is within you, it begins to change who you are, that you're more gentle and that you're more kind and how you're filled with hope and gratitude, how you encounter the suffering and the pain and the brokenness of your life so that as your hurts are reoriented and refiltered through this goodness that is bubbling up within you, you don't now just go hurt other people, but now instead of hurt people hurting people, you as a transformed person will transform other people. This is the journey that Jesus has for you. One in which you trust yourself and trust the freedom, liberation, salvation that Jesus brings you. And that now as you follow this way of Jesus, you move into this path of being more like who Jesus is. And in being more like who Jesus is, now you get to go sit at some wells of other people's lives and you get to remind them of the deepest truths. I know you don't feel worthy, but that thing within you, that divine spark, that magic, you too have always been made in the image of God. And namaste is the saying that people offer one another in greeting because it says, I bow to the divine that is within you and you bow to the divine that is within me. This is the practice of Jesus. This is the deeper truth that is embedded within the universe that we would see and hear more clearly that God has always been in each and every one of us. And so, this morning as I was leaving the house, I was saying goodbye to all of my kids and Carissa, and I was saying to them as I was stepping down the stairs to go into the garage, do you guys know who my favorite people is? And Caden says, of course, Dad, we're your favorite people. And I said, I know because I love you so much. He says, but Dad, I know you love us so much, but first, you have to love yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, how could you love us? Set a seven-year-old on Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m., my friends. Preach the gospel, am I right? And he is living in a world that we are creating, where we're gonna tell all the little seven-year-olds, whoever you are, wherever you are, you are made in the image of God. You will learn to love internally your source. You will not depend on all these external sources to give you validation and truth and acceptance and affirmation of who you are. And as you, this next generation, live into a new reality where police officers don't shoot young men, where somebody never has to come out again, where white people with privilege use their power to create new opportunities of wealth and transformation in the world, wherever you find yourself and whoever you are, this will be a generation that knows the deeper truth and good news of Jesus, that the gift of God has always been within you. Namaste, my friends. We're gonna get back in our groups and we're gonna ask these questions with one another. Where do you see the gift of God inside of you? Enjoy. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.